Evening, church. In England, November 1992, Peter Walton was a simple farmer, just working the land, trying to grow some crops with the sweat of his brow, just to have enough food to, to put on his table for his family and, and maybe having some left aside so then he can sell and make some sort of income. One day he was working on the field and, and he came home one day and he realized in his tool, toolbox, his hammer was missing. Now, he needed this hammer. And so he went out back into his field through the vegetation during the late afternoon of the day. The sun was setting and through all this thick of vegetation, he's just looking, but of no avail. He could not find his hammer. He didn't want to replace the hammer because he didn't have much. And if he was working the field with machinery one day, and if it runs over the hammer, it could cause the machinery some serious damage. And plus, the hammer was, was special to him. He named it Miao Miao. I'm just kidding. That's Thor's hammer. He didn't name it that. So the next morning, he woke up early and he went over to his neighbor's house, a 70-year-old retired gardener named Eric Laws. And he asked, hey, Eric, uh, I, I kind of lost my hammer yesterday. I know you have a metal detector machine. Can, can, you, can you help me find my hammer? And Eric's like, yeah, sure. And so both men went out to the field and they started searching for this hammer. And they went across a piece of land where, where the, the machine started shaking and it started beeping. There was something underneath that piece of land. And so they started digging. They started searching. But they did not find the hammer. Instead, what they found was a silver spoon. And then they dug some more, and then they found a second silver spoon. And then they dug some more, and then they started finding some coin and some gems. And at this point, they're, they're both like elated. But at the same time, they're burdened and they're troubled. Because they know the law back at that time in, in England was that anything that you unearth, and it see, if it seems to be like treasure, what happens is... You have to stop and you have to call the authorities. Now, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> but they did. They, they called the police. They called the city council. What happened was archaeologists was called the next day. And so this little piece of land here became an entire dig site. And below a few meters more, they found a chest full of compartments and of bags. And as they unreeled the, the compartments and bags, and what they found was the biggest, the most largest collections of coins ever unearthed till this date of the Roman Empire. In fact, it was 24 bronze coins, 565 gold coins, 14,191 silver coins. Do the math. How many coins is that? Yeah, a lot of coins. That's a good answer. Plus, they also found hundreds of silver spoons and, and spoons of gold and, and of statue and jewelry. Now, this is some sort of big wealth that they have uncovered. Both men are elated. They're lit. But at the same time, they knew that their governments would deem this finding a treasure trove, and they called it the Hoxney Hoard. 
So which means now everything that they have dug up now belongs to the country, not them. But the British crown was fair to them and offered them and gave them and paid them for face value of what they have unearthed. So both men received 1.7 million euros each. Now, I converted it to Australian buckaroos. It was $2.7 million. $2.7 million. Now, that's a lot of money. And And I know you guys are dying to know Dexter, did they ever find the hammer? They did. They found the hammer. But on that day, Peter Walton also decided, hey, you know what? I'm also going to become retired. And so he didn't need that hammer no more. And so he offered that hammer to the British crown as well to become a part of the museum, to become a part of that story. Now, don't we all love stories like these where, you know, some sort of treasure hunting is involved? Isn't it a dream? Isn't it a romance? Isn't it a childhood ambition that we all have within us? Now, this desire has inspired movies such as Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, Treasure Island, National Treasure, The Pirates of the Caribbean, The Goonies. There's about 40 to 50 motion pictures purely on treasure hunting. Now, that's why from time to time, don't we all still imagine that we can dig somewhere and find something of antiquity? Don't we all just wish and and dream that we've stumbled upon something like in a garage sale, we buy this piece of painting for really cheap and then we realize it belongs to Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello or Raphael, the Ninja Turtles? (laughs) Don't we all have this desire to, to find some hidden treasure? No wonder why Jesus on that faithful day, he understands the human heart and he's preaching about hidden treasure. He says, let's go there. And if you desire hidden treasure, if you want to find something of worth and of value, then this sermon is for you. But before we dig into the passage today, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we we pray that you send your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us what this passage means and Lord, I pray that someone turns on this aircon so it's a bit cooler for me. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> it's so hot up here. You have no idea, guys. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at that. Woo! Church, open up your Bibles to Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. God, through His Word, is about to speak to you tonight. You ready? Anyone ready? Yeah, Kira's ready. Yeah, look at that. Jesus is preaching a parable. Now, you might wonder, what is a parable? What, what a parable is, it's, it's earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Or literally in the Greek, what it means is to come alongside of. So what parables are is, is when Jesus is trying to get a truth or a point across where he's trying to highlight that truth, the story comes alongside of to, to highlight, to underline that sort of truth or for us to come alongside of and make that story personal. That's what a parable is. And Jesus, he's telling this parable. He's, he's preaching. 
And I wonder if we were in the crowd being able to witness Jesus preaching and Jesus giving a talk. I wonder what would you do? Would you be staring, just staring at him? Would, would you be on the edge of your seats, just ready to receive every word that comes out of his mouth? Or would you be taking down notes? And I guess if you're taking down notes, everything that you write becomes New Testament. Now, remember how last time I was up here, I was talking about this tax collector named Levi. Now, this is what Levi does. He actually pens down what Jesus says one day. And now this story is unique to his gospel alone. Like this story, this parable resounds with him. And we'll find out later on why. A tax collector who left everything, his life of riches, his tax collecting booth to follow Jesus. Now you won't find this parable in Mark, Luke or John. It's only in Matthew. And Matthew pens down and, and, and he starts writing. Jesus said this, he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? It's in short. It's synonymous to, to the kingdom of God. It's, it's a then and now. Okay, so just bear with me a little bit. I, I need to explain all these concepts to you. It's a kingdom of God is then and now. It's synonymous to the kingdom of God. So you can either treat the kingdom of God as a place where when you die, when you take your last breath, then your soul goes to either one of two places, either to hell or God's place. Or you can view the kingdom of heaven as now, as in where does a kingdom extend to? Like where, where does a king, where is a king's kingdom? It's where he has rule, where he has reign, where he's in control and where he has influence. So therefore the kingdom of heaven is, yes, it's something that I enter into, but it's also something that also enters into me. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He has reign in my life. He has control over my life. It's, it's not my own. Now, Jesus gives a lot of examples of the kingdom of heaven, like a lot of angles. But from this story, this, this story he, he starts off with, okay, you ready? This is what the Bible says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when the man found it, he hid the treasure and with great joy sold everything that he had and he came back and he bought that field. Do you get that? You don't? Okay, I'll, I'll give you another story then. Same points, but the same truth. It's like a merchant looking at fine, looking for fine pearls. And then he came across one of great value. He, he found one of incredible value. And he goes home and he, and he starts giving out discounts. He starts giving out wholesale, store included. His shop is included on this sale. He even throws in the camels as a package price. He sells everything. He's holding nothing back. This is all in for him. And he goes back and he buys that pearl. And Jesus goes, that's your kingdom of heaven. A man finding treasure. How often does that? It comes true. Well, in our day and age, it's, it's really hard to come across treasure. But back then, it was actually more common. 
Because you're living in a day and age where there is no banking system, no investment, no shares, no Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. And so what do you do with your wealth? What you do is you actually consolidate it into these precious, precious metal and gems. And often that day, a lot of villages get raided by you know, the enemy. And so what happens is you consolidate all your wealth into these things. And what you would do is you would dig a hole and then you put it in the earth for safekeeping. And what you would do is you will hope that you survive the attack. And sometimes you don't. And therefore, your treasure becomes lost. It becomes buried until one day our brother Phil finds it. <laughs> he finds it. And Phil, he starts going home and he starts liquidating all of his wealth. Now, this is a small town that he's living in. And so everyone is hearing word. The news is traveling fast. Hey, have you heard? Phil, he's, he put his house on sale. He's, he's selling his car. He's selling his, his furniture. He's, he's selling his organs. Man, this guy's desperate. He's scraping every cent that he has to buy what field? That field over there? That's a bad field. That has a lot of rocks in those. Why on earth is he buying the land? You can't do farming in that field. But why is Phil smirking? Why does Phil have a smile on his dial? We find out in a while. With great joy, Phil is doing all this. Yes, it cost Phil everything that he had for this piece of land. But that piece of land wasn't the most precious thing. The most valuable thing is not the land itself, but what lies under the land. The treasure is the most precious thing. Now, as Jesus is telling this parable, church, do you, do you understand? Well, what, if, what if that field that we're trading our life for represents heaven? What if, what if it represents heaven? Now, imagine this. If heaven was everything you thought it to be, like... There's a, lot, there's a whole bunch of doggos and free bubble tea. That's my sort of heaven. But Heaven was everything you expected to be, but there was no Jesus. If heaven is a place without Jesus, is it still worthwhile? No, it shouldn't. It's not worthwhile. Jesus is the treasure. He's the one you want. Have you found him? Because the gospel does not offer you just a place or a piece of land. No, it offers you a person. He's the real pearl of heaven. He is the most centerpiece of heaven that was given to you. He's the treasure. And as Jesus is talking about this parable, he's really asking the question, do you have any clue what God has given you? Any clue what he is offering you? And as a parable you come alongside of, and as in this event, you know, Jesus is not implying that through all your possession, through all your good deeds and merits, you can buy this treasure. No, 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 no. What Jesus is implying is how great, how dear of a treasure that you have, the Son of God. 
And I guarantee you, no one, I guarantee you that as you die, you breathe your last breath, as you go up to heaven, you're not going to say, I traded all my life just to get this. You know, you won't be complaining. You'll be going, wow, I gave up that, my life of sin, of addiction, of, of, of control, but, but, I get, but I get him. Man, that's, that's a good deal. That's, that's a good offer. Yes, taking this offer will mean that you lose your reign, your rule of your own life. You lose control of your own life. But don't just look at what you're going to lose. Look at what you're going to gain. Yes, following Jesus sometimes may cost you your all. That's why Matthew, I, I, I believe that he, he's the only one that records the story down because he, he understands what it means to leave the tax collector booth and to follow Jesus, to leave it all behind and, and to be all in for Christ. Yes, he may have lost his temporal career, but he gained an eternal destiny. Yes, he may have lost material possession, but he gained a spiritual future. Yes, he may have lost his earthly security, but he gained a heavenly inheritance that can never rust, be stolen from thieves. No one can break into. That's the sort of treasure that he has gained. The story of Jim Elliot. Now, there's a whole movie on him. His life starts off with, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal, I'm not going to say it. He was a smart, <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> it's like in the, the ninging. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He was a phenomenal. <laughs> All right, he was a really good high school student. He had a knack for science and mathematics. And he also had a side of creativity to him, creativity to him. And so after he finished high school, he went straight into college and everyone around him was astounded. astounded. Man, this is a bright guy. He has such a bright future ahead of him. You know what you should do, Jim Elliott? You should become an architecture because you're so good with mass and, and, you, and you're so creative. But you know what he did? Instead, he went to Bible college because he loved the Word of God and what it did to the people around him. And this is what drove him to decide to become a missionary to, to, to the jungles of South America. Now, Jim Elliott ended up marrying his high school sweetheart. And at 28 years old, which is my age, like just imagine this young. I'm young. <laughs> 28 years old. After two years of being married, him and four other missionaries went to the jungles of Ecuador to reach a group of people that has never been reached before, to reach a group of people that has never opened its doors to any other civilization before. And the missionaries realize that the place that they're entering into is dangerous. They're headhunters. Not like a business headhunting, like this is they hunt for your heads and they display it. This is a warrior type tribe. It's a violent tribe. And so they knew it was going to be difficult for them to even enter. And so what these missionaries did is they got a little plane and they attached on the little plane a speaker and, and they learned the language. 
the native language of, of that area. And so days after days, weeks after weeks, they would fly this plane over that jungle and they will have on loudspeaker in their, nas- in their native language saying, hey, we come in peace. Hey, we got a good gift for you. Hey, we just want to share an awesome story with you. And so weeks after weeks, they would also not just announce it, they would also display it and they would drop down these crates of, of offering of food and of items and of gifts just to show that they come in peace and that they mean no harm and they got something good to share. And so the day they finally landed that plane and they entered that jungle, greeted them was 10 warriors from that tribe who took out their spears and slaughtered all five of them. Now, they never got home. News came back to their wives and their wives mourned. It was a hard time. Some of them had kids. But you know what happened? Their wives took over where their husbands left off. And so they also decided, you know what? We're also going to go to those jungles. And so they went into those jungles, long story short, because they were able to share the gospel with this tribe. Many people came to believe in Christ and even those warriors who even killed her husband and she forgave them. And what happened was this happened in 1950s when this all happened in, they also found Jim Elliott's journal. It was found. Now it's been read publicly. And, and so when people opened up this book, they saw at the top of the page, written, underlined, bold, it's highlighted. And this is the phrase that he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, but to gain what he cannot lose. Church, you never are a fool if you give up something that you can't keep, something that you can't protect, but to gain something that is of eternal value. Do you understand the treasure in which you found? Yes, sometimes your faith, what your faith does to you is you end up making a lot less money. You may end up not having a lot of money. Like during this tax season, because of your faith, you're just so honest that you're not going to be able to claim much back. Or your faith, what happens is you get persecuted for your faith. You're not going to be cool in school. You're not going to get promoted at work because your boss just hates Christian. Some of you might even lose your life. But church, don't look at what you lost. Look at your gain. You gave all of that up, your fame, but you get, you get him. How awesome is that? But here's the thing, church. What if everything I said was wrong? And some of you are probably thinking, oh, Dexter, I took mental notes, man. Like, you wasted my time. <laughs> but this is the beauty of parable as we come alongside of. What if we weren't the one searching for the treasure, but we are the treasure? What if we are the treasure? I can see it in your faces Vindo, are you tripping? What if we are the treasure? And here's how I got this. 
If you read the whole of the chapter 13, when Jesus is talking about other parables, this whole chapter is about parables. And, and at the beginning of chapter 13, he's talking about another field. And when the disciples got all confused, hey, Jesus, you know your parable of the sower? Can you tell us what it means? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus starts explaining this parable. You know the field that I was talking about? That field represents the world. And you know who the sower is? It's not you. It's me. And later on, after this passage, Jesus also talks about the parable of the net where someone cast it out and he draws it back in. And then at the end of the day, he separates the good fish and he throws away the bad fish. Now, who does the separating at the end of time? Jesus does. He separates the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the weeds, the real Christians and the false Christians. We don't do that. He does. This whole chapter Jesus is the protagonist. He is the main character. He is the main actor here. So you look at this passage again with that sort of view. And in light of that, let me ask you, who is the one that comes into the world and gives everything that they have to redeem a treasure from the world? Well, that can't be us, can it? Because we got nothing to redeem ourselves with. We've got nothing. All our works and our deeds, it accounts to nothing. We cannot save ourselves. That's why Jesus comes. And at the beginning of his ministry, he declares, repent for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, he's declaring, I have come. Now, which begs us the question, is the kingdom of God fully reigning yet? Is it fully in control yet? Because we have Satan who is trying to be king. And let's be honest, he's doing a pretty good job of that. Because we see famine, we see corruption, we see greed, we see slavery. We see people addicted to substances as meth and cocaine. People addicted to pornography and materialism. We see broken families and homes. We, we see terror, we see disaster, we see pain and hurt, and we just see evil, don't we? So what's going on? Has the kingdom of God came? Is it fully reigning on who's in control of this earth? The story of Robin Hood. Who here knows the story of Robin Hood? Anybody? It's, it's a childhood kind of thing. It's about these men in tights who really are a resistance against this evil, corrupt king. It's a fake king. That's why they're so against him. And so Robin Hood and these merry men would cause all sorts of trouble for this king. And what happens is this fake king becomes angry and he sends out his men to try to capture Robin Hood. But what happens is he never really captures Robin Hood and Robin Hood and his men keeps winning these little skirmishes, these little battles. He keeps winning them again and again. But Robin Hood never actually really wins because the king is never really overthrown. But then towards the end of this story is what's happened at the end is there's this news. And it's good news that the real king is back. And when he's back, he's going to reclaim what is rightfully his. You know what? Jesus, our King, has come. And He's saying to you tonight, let, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It's come. 
I have come. And let me tell you about your worth in this kingdom of heaven. In spite of who you think you are, in spite of what others tell you what you're worth, let me tell you whose you belong to. And what I did to ensure that. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure on this field. Now, if the field is the world, the treasure is you. And I, Jesus, I am the one who gave it all. I am the one in the sense is all in. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe what? If we believe that this blood that was spilt, the precious and crimson blood to purchase back, to buy back, to redeem back the sons and daughters of heaven, and He gives up His life so that we can have life to the full and life to the eternal. We are the treasures in this story. And He's the one on the search. He gave up everything, His place of glory, of beauty. And He comes down with no beauty. He comes down normal. He comes down and His first bed was was a feeding trough of animals. He came down in the flesh to be rejected, to be betrayed, to be mocked, to be scorned and abandoned and pinned on a cruel, cold cross. And the Bible says this, though He was rich for your sake, became poor, that through His poverty that you might become rich. So church, what does this all mean for us? This would really change the way you view and live your life, shouldn't it? What if we lived in a way that we know, that we believe, where we fully understand, where we fully grasp that God's, we're God's treasure. You're the apple of His eye. Where does our worth come from? It doesn't come from us alone but in Christ alone. So whatever you have done, whatever your failures are, whatever your family background is, whatever guilt, shame and sin that you have committed, you know what? If you believe that you are His treasure, you don't need to walk through life with heads down, with low self-esteem, You can walk through life with a spring on your step, with a smile on your face, with your chin up, not with arrogance. No. Your head is held high and your chin is up and there's a smile on your face. Why? Because your gaze is transfixed on the cross. I titled this sermon, X Marks the Spot. Or you can also read the sermon title as The Cross Marks the Spot. Because this is where my treasure is. This is where my worth is found. This is where my Lord lays. But here's the good news. He he didn't stay on the cross and He didn't stay on the grave. Three days later, He rose again. And now we worship and we sing to and we give praise to a living God. Now, Now that's our gospel. 
Now that's our good news. God bless you, church.